Happy New Year uh, to you all. It is so good to see everyone back in uh, the house again and uh, be gathering uh, together uh, here. I hope your holidays were good and refreshing, uh, and I am so excited to be jumping into this new year together and excited for what God has in store for our church this year. Uh, One of the things that we're doing here at the church is we are relaunching our redemption communities. And this morning, I get to share a little vision about why I feel like these communities are so important to the life of our church. And so just a little personal testimony uh, before we dig into scripture. I can say without hesitation that uh, communities have been um, one of the most challenging and formative parts of My ministry here at Redemption City Church, they are so challenging uh, because they have put me in close proximity with other people, believe it or not. And so uh, people, challenges, their problems, their issues, their quirks, right? You get all of the wonders of being in relationships, but they're so formative because they put me, again, in close proximity to people, right, who have helped encourage me and challenge me and help me to grow and walk with me through my own issues as a person and as a dad and as a husband and all of those issues. Just like our families of origin have a disproportionate influence on our lives today, communities have the opportunity to shape and form us more and more into the people God is calling us to be. Uh, it's been said that we become like the people we, we hang out with, that we spend time with, that deeply uh, shape and form us. Um, I know without having any of my own family, extended family in town, the church has been that extended family for me. So communities have had a very close place in my heart uh, as a pastor. Here, I have a few pictures here that I wanted to throw up from our our long community experience here. And so one of the first that always comes into my mind when I'm thinking about community, this isn't a, one of our communities per se, this was a big eat up, but whenever I think of it, I just think of our house packed full of people, standing room only, gathered around a meal and coffee and sharing life together. I just love, you know, this is one of my favorite shots. Whenever I look back on it, I just think of, man, uh, the beauty of those close-knit relationships in the early Days of Redemption City at our first house. I also think a second picture of hanging out with some dudes on my front porch. Um, That is always on my second house here in Grand Rapids. Uh, I have always loved not just the big groups of people gathered in our house, but just those small, close-knit, intimate relationships uh, where you're just beginning to do life together, breaking out with just some of the guys. I have a third picture here. Um, which is hanging out on some friends' front porch, Silas and Corinne's place uh, over at Martin Luther King Park, and just getting to hang out with a group of people doing life together. Um, Maybe two other quick pictures, not from my own community, uh, but some of you might recognize uh, baby John up there and uh, baby Mike and a couple of young kids from the uh, Ottawa Hills community from way back in the day. And then I also got a uh, picture from the East Town community too, just to do the full rounds of some of the different communities, life around a table, very appropriate at the Vosses there, everybody sitting around enjoying some of Christie's amazing cooking. And so uh, I wanted to start there with just, uh, we've got something of a legacy at Redemption City of community life around uh, a table. 
And it's been one of the sweetest things that I've experienced. It's been one of the most difficult and challenging as well uh, as relationships are. Uh, but uh, Drew Hunter said this of friendship, and I thought it was true of communities as well. He said that friendships are the relationship that halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. Friendship is the relationship that halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. I think that's true of communities, right? To be in relationship with other people is to be in a relationship that as you're walking through heavy, weighty, difficult times, right, it halves your sorrow. You're sharing it with other people. Other people carry the load, and it doubles your joy when you're celebrating a birthday together with a room full of people all getting to share evidences of God's grace in your life. It's a beautiful thing to have a group of people around celebrating the great milestones in your life, having a baby, getting married, getting a new job, and to have people around you. Your joy is multiplied by being able to share it with a group of other people. And I could definitely say that about my own community. It's been a very sweet thing. And so I want to start there just a personal testimony. I do also think and sorry for the extended introduction in advance. I've got so much to say here. But, uh, but I also think we have an opportunity here in our cultural moment because authentic community is harder than ever. We're busier than ever. Life is pretty crazy. Um, but I think community in this time, in this place, is more important than ever. It's often lamented that we are more connected than ever, but lonelier than ever, right? Technology has made it possible for us to connect with almost anyone instantaneously anywhere on the planet, right, with an internet connection. We can be on FaceTime, you know, we can, you know, give a quick telephone call. We've learned to conduct business, church, even happy hour over Zoom during the pandemic, right? We, we, we learned to, to live digital lives in many ways, but alongside these stunning advances in digital connectivity, it's been the equally stunning rise in loneliness in our culture. And I don't think that's an accident, right? Our digital world doesn't simply offer connectivity, but endless entertainment and diversions and distractions, right? And the, and the connectivity that we do get through those digital platforms tends to be shallower, not as deep, not as rich, not as full as being in a room with a real human uh, being. Also, because of advances in technology, more people are working from home, which means we don't have that broader web of professional relationships either, right? Our, our circle of human beings that we do life with is shrinking, and so the need continues. Sociologists like Robert Putnam have noted uh, the breakdown of community in American classics like Bowling Alone. I think I have a little slide on there. I think the, the cover just perfectly illustrates the situation yeah, you know, the bowling leagues are gone. It's just the guy, he's there bowling by himself. It's a very lonely and sad sort of picture. Sherry uh, Turkle has chronicled how technology has lowered our expectations from for real people in her book, Alone Together. You see, again, on the cover, it's telling all these people surrounded by people looking at their phones on their screens. They're together, but in person, but they're alone because they're on their technology, on their screens. Even doctors are seeing loneliness as a new epidemic. Uh, Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General under both uh, the Obama and Biden administration, um, wrote in the Harvard Business Review back in 2017, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was the loneliness. And that is striking, and then he went on to write a book about that called Together, about how people in our culture maybe could begin to combat that uh, epidemic of loneliness. 
And not only are we lonelier than ever, we're more polarized than ever, right? Our news feeds, cable news channels, our online tribes, all of those things tend to just drive us apart instead of bringing us together. But it doesn't have to be this way, right? We can embrace community, right? We can do something radical, open our homes and invite people into our lives to share a meal together. And so where would we look for a uh, compelling vision for real and authentic analog community in our hyper-connected digital age. Maybe your go-to is Friends or Seinfeld, uh, but I think we might be surprised by how relevant the vision for community is that we find in the New Testament. Perhaps the most compelling snapshot of this community is found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, this is church really at its Best. It's this revived, it's this awakened church. There's dynamic teaching, there are beautiful relationships, there's radical hospitality and generosity, there's bold prayer, signs and wonders are happening. New people are meeting Jesus every day. And well, it's certainly rare to see all of these elements working together, right? You might have been in a church that's got good teaching or good community or good prayer life, but boy, to see all of these things together is rare, but that shouldn't stop us from pursuing this beautiful vision for what the church could be. So this morning, we're going to look more closely at this community here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I want you to see uh, that this was a hospitable community. This was a learning community. This was a sharing community. And this was a praying community. And my aim is that we would be able to increasingly share this kind of community together here in our church and with a lonely world in need of a compelling model for authentic community. So uh, I just want to pray this morning that God would begin to do that in our church and in our life, Uh, just feeling particularly the need stepping into this new year just for an opportunity to pray that God would meet us not only this morning, but as we enter into this new uh, year together. So would you join me in praying uh, this morning? Father, I'm just uh, painfully aware this morning just of our need for you, of my need for you. Uh, Stepping into a new year, God, we know that everything we do here in our church is going to mean very little if we don't experience your presence and power at work in our lives. All of our strategy, all of our planning, all of our vision means nothing if you don't move here in our midst, God, if you don't give us Uh, the grace that we need, if you don't give us the love that we need to care for each other well, if you are not pouring out your spirit into our hearts so we can be this kind of people. God, so I'm just here this morning just praying that you'd humble our hearts, make us dependent upon you, God, that we uh, would just be a community here that is seeking hard after you in this new year, uh, that is dependent upon you, God. I pray Uh, This year that we'd recognize that we really can't grow in our Christian life on our own. We need each other, Uh, God. And so I pray, whether people jump into communities or LTGs or Bible studies, uh, God, that this community here would be a rich, deep, and transformative, redemptive community. God, and I pray that your spirit would be working and stirring and moving through it. And that you'd get all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got about 20 minutes here to uh, work through my text this morning, but 
we're all prayed up, and so we're ready to go. Are you ready to strap on your uh, seatbelts here? We're, we're jumping in. Four elements of Acts 2 this morning that we're going to be digging into. Um, and if you want to follow along, you can uh, do so in your text. You'll see it's all coming right out of our scripture this morning. And I want to start with uh, this first element of this community. You might miss it. Uh, because it's maybe not as obvious in your first read-through. But the first element of this community, this beautiful, dynamic community that we see here in Acts chapter 2, is that it is a hospitable community. It is characterized by radical hospitality. We see this in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous Hearts, uh, notice this is a group of people, right, that is meeting at the temple and also welcoming people into their homes, into their lives. There was this beautiful balance between formal teaching and preaching in public at the temple, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, we don't know who's there, and this organic ministry happening in homes all over the city as God's people are opening up their lives to welcome people into the everyday stuff of life. And it's this ministry in homes that I want to focus on this morning as we relaunch our communities here at Redemption City. Perhaps the most surprising thing about this hospitality was the frequency, right? Every day they were meeting in each other's homes, right? It's hard to even fathom whether that kind of community could happen in our incredibly busy, hyper-connected, super busy world where we live uh, today, but we see in verse 42 and 46 that these meetings in homes that they're having every day were centered around a common meal, right, which is described as the breaking of bread. Now, this probably included the Lord's Supper as a kind of formal thing that they were celebrating together, but it was almost certainly in the context of a normal meal. These early Christians considered themselves family and even started calling each other brother and sister, right? There was a depth of relationship that they were reaching together as they spent time together, right? That, that these people were becoming family uh, to them. And this wasn't some duty forced upon them from the hires up in the church organization, right? These meals we read were characterized by glad and generous hearts, right? These meals were so compelling. Verse 47 tells us that everyone in the city was taking notice of the beautiful community that was forming here in this early church. Uh, it takes, I would say, a unique mix of generosity and vulnerability to open up your home. Right? It takes generosity to share your space, your time, your food, your resources with other people, right? That's a, there's a call to generosity, but at the same time, and maybe even harder, it takes a vulnerability because people are going to see your life up close and personal, right? They're going to see the inside of your refrigerator and whether you cleaned your bathroom and, you know, you know how you manage your children and your life, right? It's, it's both an incredible call to generosity and uh, vulnerability. And by the way, it's really inconvenient, right? Who has time to clean the house and prepare a meal and host people today, right? That's a remarkably beautiful thing. And this is why I think that authentic community is so valuable because it's so rare in our fast-paced digital age. Um, this is something that 
John and Sarah Holderbaum and Kevin Christie are justly famous for setting aside time in their lives and their space. So I got to show a few pictures up front of the community that was able to be formed. And I could mention a bunch of other folks that hosted um, as well. Uh, But the classroom, as you know, and I love the classroom. I'm a teacher. (laughs) That's one of my favorite things to do. But it can be a sterile setting, right, to be sitting in a classroom and in a smaller group, you know, over coffee at a, you know, trendy coffee shop. And while you can kind of manage your image and what you want to share about yourself and what you would like to disclose, but when you're in a home together in the chaos, that beautiful chaos of community, right, you get to see different side of people, how they relate to their kids, how they relate to their spouses, how they relate to each other. There's something really beautiful. At its best, community creates space for us to be family, right? To actually live out what it looks like to be a family together. And as the gospel spread throughout the Greco-Roman world, one of the distinguishing features of this early church was that it met in homes carrying out this practice of sharing meals together. Paul can mention a church that met in Priscilla and Aquila's house in Romans 16.5 and a church that met in Gaius's home in Romans 16.23. And it's important to note here that the Greco-Roman household, or oikos, was much broader than our nuclear family today. I think I've got a picture for you that I want to put up on the slide here uh, just to give you a little bit of a vision of what it looked like here in not just the homes in Jerusalem would have been more modest, but as the gospel spread to some of these large cities like Corinth and Ephesus, um, Philippi, some of these cities, you'd have these big households uh, filled with a various network of people. So you'd have slaves, you would have servants, you would have workers, you'd have relatives, you know, multi-generations of family, um, clients, all living under this roof together. And so just think of the amount of people that it would take to run one of these households, all the kind of people that would be rubbing shoulders together. And under a Roman household, right, all of this was centered, all these people living under one roof under the paterfamilias, right, the patriarch of the clan. And guess who benefited the most from this whole arrangement, right? (laughs) That guy, right? Everybody was there to serve him, all the servants, all the slaves, all the family. You know, he lived like a king in his palace. And under this uh, situation, right, that's how Roman society worked. And But when the gospel started to come in, it started to break down all of the hierarchical relationships here. All of a sudden, in one of these homes, people started gathering together around a meal. Uh, Both the servants and the slaves, along with the upper class, men and women, Jews and Greeks, are all gathering around a common meal in one of these large households. And all of a sudden, people are sharing life in a new and subversive way that started upsetting the way the entire empire was running, right? All of a sudden, these relationships are having people are getting to meet each other across all of these different cultural and ethnic lines in and all under the, this household together. And it was through these relational networks. Imagine all these people living under this roof are all getting exposure to the gospel around a meal in the context of relationship. And the gospel kind of ran on these rails in the first century through these natural relational networks. Um, God was using those things to move, to move the gospel forward. So, so fast forward here to the 21st century, right? We don't live in that kind of world. We live in this kind of world, right? We've got like a little house here 
and you, what is the most prominent feature, right? You have the, you have the massive garage door there. You know, people drive in, close the drawbridge, turn the TV on, and just kind of hang out vegging in their big suburban home, right? That's kind of the Oikos model. Does anyone know how many people live in a modern American Oikos? How many people live in a modern American household? <clears throat> Lower. Lower. <laughs> 2.6 is the number that live in one of these wonderful American probably not in this exact house, but just across the board, right, in America, according to the U.S. Census statistics, you know, the average household in America is 2.6 people, and that's actually up 1%, one-tenth of a percent from 2.5, which it was in 2010, which after 150 years of household size going down, it's actually ticking up again a little bit in the last decade, just due to some economic realities. People are living together now. They're, they're like, you know, due to the economic recession, um, you know, people are, once again, you know, you've got those older kids that are still living at home. You know, older parents are moving back in. So, so there is going to be more of that household dynamic happening. But you can agree, if you look at these two slides, right, this oikos in the ancient world and all the rich relational networks that were happening, and then you look at kind of our modern technological world, right, the oikos that we live in is pretty narrow and it's pretty constricted. It makes sense of the fact that we're lonelier than ever in our culture, that there's an epidemic of loneliness because our, our oikos is so small. The circle of people we're inviting into our lives is so small. We may have broad digital relationships. We may have a thousand friends on Instagram or Facebook or uh, you know, have thousands of people following us on Twitter or TikTok or whatever your, your uh, social media of choice. But in terms of real, in real life relationships, our, our circles are more constricted than ever. And what I think this diagram I'm hoping does gives you a little vision that we could do life differently as a church. We could be different kinds of people. We could open up our narrow little households to a broader group of people. We could welcome coworkers over to share a meal or grab some drinks. We could have friends and invite them over once a week to share a common meal together. We could do a pancake breakfast for our neighbors and start to welcome people within our social networks back into our lives. Uh, if you really want to get make things interesting, you could actually invite someone into your household, actually increase your household. Our family has done foster care and adoption for the last couple of years. The Holder Moms have done it as well. Uh, Silas and Corinne Middlestad have done just welcomed foster and refugee kids just into your home, just broaden your, your, uh, your own personal household dynamic. Get it up there to six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, you know, kind of like the Bartlett's, yeah? <laughs> Broad it. We're trying to, trying to raise the curve a little bit there. You could invite college students into your home, like the Jensen's, like we've done before. You could up that household size a little bit. Invite some, you know, college students who are looking to get away from the craziness of college life and be able to share that reality. You could do what the Vosses have done a couple times, just invite community members to live with them along the way and uh, do life together um, with them. Obviously, you know, people are inviting extended family to come and live in their homes. My point is that this idea of ministry around a household, it creates all of these beautiful and rich relational networks in which the gospel can run and operate in our lives. And I think we're missing a lot of opportunities as a church because our, our networks have shrunk to such a small extent. I mean, obviously, you can do some networking on social media. I'm not saying none of that stuff is effective or useful, but there's something transformative about these real 
life relationships, welcoming people into your life, and there's something deeply formative about it. And so I would just encourage you to maybe think as we're stepping into this relaunching, this community thing, to to think about what it might look like to open up your home, to broaden your relational network a little bit, your oikos. That doesn't mean people have to move in with you forever, like but maybe you just open your meal, open your house up once a week on Friday night for pizza and movie or pancake breakfast on Saturday morning, or you begin to see your home as a space where gospel ministry can happen. Um, one of the most inspiring books I read this year uh, was by Andy Crouch uh, in his book, The Life We're Looking For. And, and he really contrasted this like, you know, this incredible digital world we live in that, you know, has, has so many advantages. There's so many wonderful things it offers us. Uh, but we lose so much of on the relational end. And uh, he said this in his book, and I thought this was probably the most impactful quote uh, from that whole book, but he said, we do not have to live in ever-increasing isolation. Our homes can become creative centers far more consequential than the refuges of consumption and leisure we have let them become. And from these new households, we can begin to extend the recognition of personhood to those in danger of being Overlooked. I love this, right? When we practice this kind of hospitality, I think people are going to notice just like they did in the first century. What is it with these Christians just welcoming people into their lives and into their homes? So, so one of the hallmarks of this early church was radical hospitality. And I hope that's something we can keep kind of on board. Again, you don't have to join a, one of our redemption communities to do that. You can just keep doing what you're already doing. But we hope communities help facilitate that and make that a little easier. Uh, the second thing I want you to notice, and I'm, I'm speeding up here. I'm, I'm going to try. I got three more points here. We're not going to be here till, till one o'clock, I promise. We're gonna, <clears throat> I'm going to try and speed things up here. Verse 42, we know a second that this was a learning community, right? This is pretty obvious in verse 42, if you're following along. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? The apostolic teaching became uh, what is our New Testament today. They were devoting themselves to the sacred scriptures, uh, to what God was teaching, um, so that they could follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. While the public preaching in Acts 2 and 3 and 5 offered an opportunity for the apostles to teach this fledging the church and to share the gospel with their city, home meetings provided an opportunity for questions, for dialogue and interaction about what the Christian life looks like in practice. It was an opportunity for discussing how the gospel applies to the everyday stuff of life, right? So on a Sunday morning here, you might not get to ask me all the questions you'd like to have. You're like, like, I have so many questions, but there are all these other people around too, and you might not get to ask them. On a Sunday morning, you don't get to hear how everyone's wrestling with the scriptures and the text. You might be able to guess maybe how some of your friends are reacting or hearing this sermon, but you don't know, right? On a Sunday morning, you aren't able to ask specific questions about how the gospel relates to your own life and some of the ways you're like, yeah, how does this translate for me uh, today? At their best, communities are a safe context to ask questions and figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus together, a space where we can actually have that time. So my hope and prayer is that communities offer you a safe place to come and ask the questions you have, the concerns, wrestle with the doubts and the questions, and really grow in your Faith. Well, communities are not in-depth Bible studies by any stretch or form. 
Uh, they will provide, I hope, an opportunity to start talking about the text we're going to be teaching that week and Sunday to be able to start wrestling with what the Scripture means, its implications, the questions that are there. There will be opportunities for questions and exploration, discovery, prior to hearing the sermon Sunday morning. And I know that has been such a meaningful thing to me and the dudes that I've been wrestling with that through. We need spaces for discussion and formal teaching, discovery and worship, for questions and carefully formulated explanations. It was this beautiful balance that was struck so perfectly here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm convinced that it helped our church grow in depth and breadth and maturity, right? Uh, They didn't have to choose between dynamic teaching and loving community. I don't think we should have to choose either. I think think we can do both, right? I think we can uh, have spaces where we can worship, where we can hear the Bible taught uh, carefully and in detail, but also spaces where we can live it out together in community. So we have this hospitable community and we have this learning community. Two more things quickly. Uh, The next thing I want you to notice is that this was a a sharing community. We see this in the fact the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. What is the fellowship? This Greek word koinonia means common or something shared. In the text here, um, it says in verse, I think it's 46, or no, it's actually in verse uh, 44, they had all things in common. It's that Greek word koina. You know, this is a common life that they shared together. It was a relationship where they shared a relationship with the Father and the Son. First John um, one three uh, says it says it this way that our fellowship is with uh, the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. It was a relationship that was shared with the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen says also that our fellowship is with the. Holy Spirit as well, not just with the Father and Son, but the Holy Spirit. You have these beautiful relationships. There we go. Now we're cruising, <laughs> cruising right along here. And also fellowship with each other, right? Fellowship is a sharing and a relationship. It's a relationship first with God, then with each other. And then it included the sharing of economic resources. They held all things in common. The sharing was both spiritual, it was relational, and it was economic. The kind of fellowship they had transcended those boundaries. It was a sharing um, that was really dynamic, radical, and transformational, right? These early Christians were sharing life together at a very deep level. I think communities at their best, right, help us model more of this life together. They provide some training wheels for sharing more of life than maybe the hour that we get to spend on Sunday morning. They'll help us take steps towards the daily relationships these early Christians had with each other, um, the meals they shared together, the extraordinary generosity that they've experienced. And I've seen this over and over in our past iterations of communities, right? You start with just a simple meal together, but all of a sudden you're starting to get to know each other. And, you know, you're like, hey, we need to celebrate birthdays together. We're going to be celebrating each other's milestones in their lives. He's celebrating that promotion at school, celebrating a new baby. We're going to do a baby shower. Wait, there's a wedding going on in our community. We're all going to be there. Uh, We're going to be a part of this. What, there's a DIY project happening? Like, all the guys are on board. We're going to go fix somebody's house. Or we demoed an entire house at one point, I think, as a community, right? We're watching each other's kids. We're taking each other to the airport, to the hospital, Um, weddings, funerals, right? We're pooling our resources for needs that we see in our community, or the people that we're surrounded with. This is the kind of community that begins to emerge, right, when we start thinking about fellowship more deeply than just 
maybe a fellowship, a few minutes after church of fellowshipping, you know, that we kind of talk about. But we're sharing life at a much deeper, richer level. So really quickly, and I think I said, I'm moving along quickly here. We got a hospitable community, a learning community, a sharing community, and finally a praying community, right? In verse 42, we see this again clearly, an emphasis of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, we talked about the breaking of bread, and finally, the prayers, right? These prayers would have certainly included prayers at the temple, morning and evening. That was part of God's people, the life of God's people. Um, Since the tabernacle had been created, these morning and evening prayers were had in the temple, but undoubtedly also prayers in each other's home, right? They were praying and God was answering prayers in remarkable ways, right? They were praying for God to meet needs and people were selling their property so that everyone in that community who had a need, those needs were being met, right? Signs and wonders. When I was reading this text to my kids, they're like, signs and wonders? Like, what was going on? People were praying and God was doing crazy things. Miracles were happening. People were getting healed. You know, generosity was being unleashed that could be explained by no other explanation than God was at work in this community, right? Prayer is the power behind this compelling community. We don't, we don't become these kind of people that are willing to share our lives and our money and our space and, and all of this stuff, our food, with people apart from God's Spirit working in our hearts, right? Prayer is so much at the center of this work. The Apostle Paul earnestly prays for his Christian brothers and sisters in Colossians 1.9, and then he asks them to pray for him as well, right? James tells us to pray for one another, right? That we would be healed and pray for the needs and the concerns that we have in our lives. God invites us to ask, and he delights to answer in his own sovereign Timing. At its best, communities will be places where you can get prayed for, right? Where we wait patiently for God to answer prayers uh, together and where we celebrate answers to those prayers as they come along, right? Our prayer life is richer and fuller when we're sharing it with others, right? It's easy to get lost in your own little prayer life and, and forget about the things that you've prayed for. But when you're in a community of people with real, practical, concrete needs walking alongside of each other, Right? And getting to pray for those very real practical needs, or you have opportunities to celebrate it together. And so we get just a brief glimpse of this early church community here in these five verses in Acts 2. But what we see is pretty compelling. I think in verse 47, this is a community where people are being added every single day, right? It's like, and day by day, those who are being, they're added to their number, those who we're being saved. And while we might be skeptical at how our scruffy communities can compete with the flashy digital alternatives, I'm convinced that people are hungry for real and authentic community, even if it's messy and sometimes inconvenient and sometimes a little maddening, right? We're made for relationships and we need help more than ever to be cultivating these relationships, right? Because of all the distractions that we see around, it's harder than ever to do community well. And so I think anyways, our church can help facilitate those beautiful relationships, give you a context in which to practice some of those beautiful one another's of scripture are going to be a beautiful thing. And so what's the invitation this morning? I'm already over time here, a little fired up about this subject, but uh, what's the invitation, right? The invitation is to open up our homes for some scruffy hospitality, right? To share a simple meal, to share life with each other, to dig into scripture, to 
pray for each other. Um, we're hoping to have at least, you know, a community up north, one down here south, one east, one west. So people in the different geographical areas of the church can be ministered to. If we have more interest, we'll open up uh, more of them. We're going to do a class uh, to help equip LTG leaders and community leaders here in January, this Fruit to Root class, to help people help people understand how to take the truths of the gospel and apply them to the everyday stuff of their lives. That's really the hope, to raise gospel fluency. So as we step into life together and into these communities, LTGs will be more capable of speaking the truths of the gospel into each other's lives. And then we're going to be putting those communities together in February, and you should see them launched by the first week of March. If you are interested, we do have a community interest sign-up sheet on Slack. If you're not on Slack, you can get yourself on Slack right as you walk out the door. There's a little QR code you can, you can scan to get on Slack, and you will see that in our announcements channel. There is a community interest form. We want to know how many of you are interested in doing life together in this format. You can also check your email. The Redemption City email also has that link to that community interest form. That'll help us as we're putting these together, trying to figure out how many leaders we need, how many homes we need to host, where we need to host, um, and all of the many logistical challenges that go along with hosting uh, community. So hope you'll consider in this new year uh, engaging in this beautiful practice of uh, community along with us. I wanted to close with a brief quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic work, Life Together. It's one of uh, I think the most profound and wise reflections on community uh, can be found. I uh, highly encourage you to read it if you haven't read it yet together. Bonhoeffer uh, lived life with a very tight-knit group of Christians during the Nazi occupation. He was part of an underground church and lived in deep community with other Christians. And life together is filled with wisdom for living together in community, the challenges, uh, the beauties, the joys, and I feel like this quote really sets the right tone for entering a community. He says this in Life Together. He says, Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered common life with them, we enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us, we thank God for giving us brethren who live, or sisters who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and by his promise. We do not complain about what God does not give us. Rather, we thank God for what he has given us daily. And it's not what he has given us enough brothers who will go on living with us through sin and need under the blessing of his grace is the divine gift of Christian fellowship. Anything less than this, any day, even the most difficult and distressing. Right? What Bonhoeffer is saying is, that this privilege of being in community with each other is something that was bought and purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. This is his grace, which is the foundation for our community together, our common life together. We didn't earn this, right? You know, we don't bring all of our assets to the table. We've been welcomed in by the sheer grace of God. And because of that sheer gracious welcome, we get to welcome others into life uh, together with us. It's his grace freely offered that sets the tone for the way we do community, and it's his spirit that empowers us to live lives of love and self-sacrifice and generosity uh, together as a community. So I just want to pray um, that God would increasingly help our feeble efforts as we step back into communities uh, to begin to look a little bit more 
like this beautiful vision that we see here in Acts 2. So would you join me in prayer? Father, uh, just thank you for this beautiful vision that we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I, whenever I read it, I'm just amazed uh, at this kind of community. I want to be a part of this kind of community. Um, God, and yet I know, gosh, the, all of the challenges and difficulties and uh, roadblocks to really experiencing the kind of community that you have for us. And so just pray right now that you're, by your spirit, God, you would be uh, empowering us to live lives full of this kind of generosity that we see, full of the kind of vulner- vulnerability that it requires to do life one another, that there be a culture here uh, of just grace and, and welcome and acceptance that everyone would feel when they walk in the door, and that this would be a community for people to grow, a safe space for people to ask their questions, to wrestle through their doubts, and experience just a little glimpse of what it's like to, to, to do life together as your people. God, and we pray that you'd get all the glory, everything accomplished through these communities, all the work that's done. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.